In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the everyone and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and perhaps the unbelievable New England Zone Van Helsink. And I'm still trying to see if we have Richard here. Do we have Richard here? Still looking for Richard. Okay, so we don't. So while we're still looking for the lost soul, we'll bring on our guest today, if that's okay with you. And he is none other than Jonathan Faust, who is a hmm, quantum physicist. Jonathan, you there? I am there, yes. Quantum physicist. That's uh, impressive. <laughs> well, amongst one of my other titles, yeah, but it's one of my specialities. It's a subject that gets me very excited. You know, there there aren't really too many paranormal shows that uh, bring on quantum physicists, because I would imagine, although I think you are my second one, so I do have to take that back. Uh, you've... Uh, yeah, you're looking at the paranormal kind of a different way than just the normal parapsychologist, correct? Very much so. What I've found in the past is many parapsychologists are basically just enthusiasts of the belief system that ghosts exist. And what they want to try and do is basically find proof of the fact that they believe that the paranormal is real. And they're, and they're looking for validation of that. Now, what I'm more interested in is trying to understand what is going on and trying to document what is happening so that we can produce an understanding. Now, the whole of science basically is founded on uh, experimentation, not empiricism. And we're trying to basically develop a whole body of evidence that we can start creating theories about how things are happening. So it's very important that we try and, and start with the bedrock of saying, well, let's not just assume one way or the other, but let's start producing bodies of evidence of facts and figures, and then let's see what kind of theories we can start establishing that we can then test. And I think the big problem is a lot of parapsychologists that I've seen, or let's just panel investigators, um, start with the understanding that oh, um, I'm a ghost hunter and I'm going to prove that ghosts exist, which is a bit of a fallacy, really, in terms of science is involved. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I they, how they want to prove that it's all a lot of bunk? Well, I've found very few that actually spend the time and effort um, in very dark, cold locations uh, recording lots of data who will actually there to try and prove it's not real. 
you'll probably find the ones that are there who are getting kind of buzzed out of the whole thing are because they're there with a positive belief system rather than a negative belief system. I agree. I mean, I, I, I have limited experience with true parapsychologists, ones that are actually doctors. Uh, I, I know Karen O'Keefe is certainly, I call him Dr. Pooh, because he, he tends to discount everything. He works, I think, on the theory that ghosts don't exist. And, uh, you know, and so he goes that route. I, I could be wrong, though. Yeah, now I'm probably talking about the paranormal investigators that you'll find in a lot of the groups around the world. So you're just talking about paranormal investigators rather than parapsychologists, correct? Parapsychologists, because of the definition, they will they will tend to be a little bit more skeptic, tend to be a little bit more rational because of the, the training that they'll get undergo. Probably not as skeptical as the scientists, but probably heading that way. I'm probably talking about the paranormal investigators you'll find in most groups. But they'll okay. tend to probably be the positive type of person that would, would take the understanding that there is there is definitely the paranormal that is real as opposed to let's sit on the fence until we can prove one way or the other. Okay, I guess we are now joined by my lost brother. <laughs> Good evening! Separated by birth. <laughs> I mean, perfectly. Rich, are we Richard blood brothers Felix. or not? Rich, Richard Felix, we are live. We are very live. <laughs> I do apologize. wasn't my fault. Couldn't get through. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've heard it, heard it before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, you, you talk to Eric later. <laughs> Anyways, our, our very uh, special guest today is uh, a quantum physicist, uh, Richard, which is right up your line. I'm, I, I, oh, I I'm so excited. Good evening. <laughs> Hi, Richard. I want to... I, listen, I've, I've, for years and years now, with all this, what I've been going on, every, every talk, every lecture I do, I say, and guess what, guys? I'm getting into the realms of quantum physics, and I ain't got a clue what it's about, because I hated <laughs> physics at school. So I, I, I'm, I'm here waiting with bated breath to hear what you've got to say. <laughs> well, I'm glad you joined us. <laughs> I don't oh, know what I'm now. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> So basically, we were talking about the the realm of uh, paranormal investigators and how they basically go to prove. Although the, you do have the the uh, taps uh, mentality where they go to disprove, I think. Yes, I mean, I, I would say that that's. But I would I would argue that that's a, that's a selling point of taps, and I think it's probably the unique selling point they use for the show, as opposed to necessarily a belief system. Um, it, it was. It, I would argue that's probably the better way to be is, is to be on the negative side of scepticism, um, because it's very easy to get caught up in the excitement um, that we all find it so intoxicating about the paranormal. Um, and, and sometimes it's better. It is a better stance to step back ever so slightly and say, okay, yes, everyone else has got very excited about that, but let's just step and, and look at this rationally and let's really investigate what's just happened. Can we find some explanations? Uh, very interesting. That very often I'm, I'm attacked as. Um, automatically assuming, uh, people will assume that I have no belief in the paranormal and that I'm only here to try and prove things don't exist. And very often people will, will assume that without even understanding or even beginning to talk to me because they'll just assume that scientists, well, you obviously don't believe, do you? You're not a believer. Um, but as I said, a scientist is all, it all, is all about trying to produce an understanding. And we've really got to sit on the fence until we start to find that understanding. If we can find no understanding, we will probably start arguing 
against the subject. But, but the moment there's, there's enough empirical evidence that something odd is happening in a very, very broad field of the paranormal, but there's enough there to, to say that I think that we should be still exploring the possibility and trying to produce some kind of uh, experimental methodologies about how we can actually go about investigating the paranormal. Absolutely. So are you talking about a protocol? Well, well, yes, because, for example, when I've been with lots and lots of different groups, there doesn't seem to be any kind of established protocol about how groups investigate. There are some that will always work with a medium and just hang off every word the medium says, but other groups that will not use mediums. There will, I've seen some groups that don't even document anything that happens, and it's more of a joyride to them as opposed to really any kind of research into the paranormal. And I, I would like to think that there is some kind of way that groups can establish some way where they, they carry out the same experiments over and over again, they document what they do, and that they then look at this casebook of evidence that they produce to see if they can find any patterns. I, I think that what you're really talking about is a, uh, an established protocol. So that you, one group in the United States, one group in UK, one group in Australia, or one group in Germany are all doing the same thing so that yeah. you can get similar results or you can get either evidence or or whatever i mean is that that's that's it right that that is effectively it i mean there's some very simple things for example you can do with dowsing rods lots of group use dowsing as a method of, of divination to try and contact spirits but i've seen them very used in very very different ways for example you can use it as, a, as an individual just one person trying to make contact with a spirit on their own the difficulty with that is that potentially that the story that you develop from that single person can really become like a flight of fancy. Quite honestly, it could be a really a reflection of their own psychology as opposed to any potential contact with spirit. But there are very simple experiments you can do to try and eliminate that by using multiple people in terms of one being the, the reader, one person asking questions, and a neutral person who's monitoring what's going on. You can even set it up with like four people dowsing, one person asking questions, and the four dowsers can't see each other. And then you get a consensus of opinion of what these four dowsers are getting without influencing each other as they go along with the story. So if there were certain protocols and techniques which could be universally adapt, um, adopted by the international community, then when people talk about dowsing, we all know it's been done in the same way, because at the moment there's no kind of protocol, and we've all done it in the same in completely different ways. And there's no opportunity to sort of uh, compare results from across the world. Richard, what do you think of this? Oh, yeah, absolutely right. I mean, uh, wonderful just listening to you. Uh, I mean, two things. You know, you're absolutely right uh, about uh, so many paranormal investigators that are out there. Everything that happens, you know, it, it has to be paranormal. Um, you know, the, you've got to tick the normal boxes first before even remotely considering the possibility of it being paranormal, whatever that means. Um, and the other thing, I, the problem I have is that until someone comes along with a... A realistic approach, uh, and a, probably a scientific approach to a certain extent, science will never take it seriously because at the moment there's, there's too much Scooby-Doo out there and mm. too much scare factor. Um, you know, it's, just, it's wonderful to, for, someone, for me to listen to someone that's actually trying to get some r rationality out of the whole damn thing because you, I'm sure, know like I do and, and Ron does as well, there really is something in it. Yes, but it's just absolutely. trying to prove it. And while we're all running around 
doing our own little thing and enjoying ourselves and having a bit of fun, it ain't going to work. Now, one of the things I've been doing is that I've been running for probably about five, past five years now, is, is introducing scientific techniques to the publicly run investigations that my Ooh, company I like that. with. So do I. And one of the fears was that, that 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 was accused against me was that potentially it wouldn't be any fun. The public wouldn't enjoy Correct. it. Correct. Wouldn't understand it. They would they would re they would resist it. And the the model that basically you have a medium and then whatever the medium says must be true. Yeah. Uh, doesn't really um, is the only model to take, and that the public wouldn't really engage. But by making the experiments a little bit more exciting and a little bit more involved, they don't necessarily need to understand the complex rationale in terms of statistical deviation of why it's been done this way. If anything, it's become actually more involvement, and they feel very involved in the whole process. And generally, I can I can say that quite most of the investigations we now conduct are done under, under a relatively scientific protocol that isn't regimented in terms of becoming so bogged down with documentation that it, it is really not fun at all. Boring. There is yeah. still that element of fun. So there is some middle ground, which because of the sheer volume of panel investigations running all over the country, I know in the UK alone, there's, there must be definitely dozens, if not even up to hundreds every weekend all over the, all over the country, that we have the potential of producing a huge quantity of uh, statistical evidence about what is or is not going on. It's just that we're probably not tapping into that. And also the research organisations probably aren't tapping into this huge body of evidence going on. Mm, it's so true. In fact, we're all too busy playing at TV programmes. That's the trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you there, Richard. And, and the, other thing, the other thing, too, is, of course, that, that so many of these groups are so territorial and so, uh, you know, self-centered, I guess is the word, is that they're not really willing to share their information with each other. Yes. Why is that? <laughs> I think it's because so many, I'll tell you why, a lot of it's because so many are nothing more than a business. Well, yeah, but I would argue that, that ultimately everyone interested in this subject is looking at, really, the ultimate question of spiritualism. And you would hope that generally spiritualist people would be a little bit more understanding and a little bit more open. And yet sometimes I find them the most closed people who are desperately, this is my section. And you get to this horrible war of my picture of an orb is better than your picture of an orb. My medium got a better result than your medium got. I've got a better location than you've got. And it really does become very frustrating. Yeah, I agree. It frustrates me today. And of course, big thing you've got to remember is that I am saying there's a, you know there are so many um, paranormal businesses out there, paranormal groups, and I'll be honest, me included. You know, I I, I do a, a lot of stuff um, uh, around the country in various places, and and um, do nights and and charge and make a profit for it. And of course, one of the things that a lot of them say, you know, we better not prove it too quickly, otherwise we'll be out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> I think if we ever did find any evidence, all it would do is open a whole series of new questions to be asked. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. But, I mean, the, you know, the thing I quote frequently, of course, is the fact that, you know, everyone was terrified of sailing around the Earth until someone did it, and now nobody thinks twice about it. You know, anyone says to you, oh, I'm going on a world cruise, nobody says, be careful, because <laughs> you might fall off the edge of the Earth. We've just forgotten all about it. And we've gone on to something else, like UFOs instead. Very true. So we've we've got to you know I mean at the end of the day it, I, I don't I don't think I oh I don't know perhaps there is no 
possibility of, of proof. And, you know, when you think how long, because uh, at the end of the day, um, talk of the dead returning or an afterlife or whatever you want to call it has been around probably since the first or second person on this planet died. Um, and that's a long, long time ago. And yet there is still absolutely no proof whatsoever. I mean, I can't bring you any proof tonight. I don't believe Ron can, and I don't, I don't believe you can either. No. None. Nothing. And yet we, we know there's something in it. I mean, I would have to say that the, if, you, if, you, if you narrow it down to the whole um, belief after, uh, of life after death, that, that's a particularly narrow question, which... Whoops. Hello? He's been removed. <laughs> been removed from the planet. Wow. Abducted by UFO. Well, possibly. Or, 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 or some, some external power, Ron, that, that we, perhaps we're getting too close. <laughs> getting too close. That could be it. Well, that is amazing. Is it still nothing? Yeah, nothing. They're, they're working on it now. But uh, anyways. Um, Unbelievable. Well, yep. While I've got you, Ron, very quickly, I've got very, very, very. I don't know whether anybody knows about this, about the um, uh, the ghost in the in the mortuary in uh, in South Africa. No, I missed this one. Oh boy, this is an amazing, amazing story. Um, yeah, because I mean, I don't know whether you whether you're of the same opinion as me as to whether you think uh, mortuaries are, are, are can be haunted. Uh, I, I think I it's a little bit like a graveyard. All, all that's in a mortuary is, is the the vessel that once held the energy. And yeah, yeah, everyone, everyone on this planet, I think me especially, would be frightened of going into a great into a uh, into a mortuary, day or night. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Are you the same? Would you do it? Uh, you know me. <laughs> you wouldn't bother of anything. <laughs> Start on my, I wouldn't. I couldn't even imagine it. The thought no, of no, going no, in no, there no. and. Anyway, are you ready for this then? Frightened yep. grandfather presumed dead by family wakes up in a morgue 24 hours later. Ouch. An unconscious grandfather presumed dead by his family woke up yesterday in a morgue. The frightened 50-year-old screamed to be let free after finding himself zipped up in a body bag inside a mortuary chiller. <laughs> Health officials today confirmed that the asthmatic man had been taken to a private undertaker's on Saturday evening after his family found him unconscious at home and assumed he was dead. Oh he God. spent 21 hours lying on a corpse trolley in the mortuary before waking up at 5pm yesterday. Officials launched an investigation into the bizarre incident which happened in the town of Libode in South Africa's eastern Cape province. But the amazing thing is that there were two mortuary officials in the mortuary at the time, and they heard the screams coming from the chiller and fled yep. the building thinking that the place was haunted. <laughs> oh, that's nice. It's you know, that's, that's very unbelievable. That's very similar to, uh, I think it was about a couple of weeks ago that I, on the, uh, the Ghost Chronicles Next Generation show, I read oh, yeah. a thing about a, uh, a Russian woman who uh, died of a heart attack, so they thought, and then she, evidently she wasn't involved, she woke up at the uh, wake and screamed oh, no. and died of a heart attack. Oh, no! <laughs> really? Yeah. 
Oh, that's, that's terrible. But can you so anyways, I, I do believe we have Jonathan back, uh, Richard. Oh, Jerry, you're... We thought you'd been abducted. Well, I think the classic case of the spirits didn't want me talking about that subject too long. You I go. thought that's what it was, and you were you were removed. <laughs> the ether Where were we? <laughs> okay, so where were we? Um, we were talking about a protocol. We were talking about pe why people were secretive about uh, their results and so forth. Uh, I can't remember the like, last thing we were talking about, but uh, let me ask you this, being a quantum physicist and... Uh, so many groups claim to be scientific and claim to use scientific instruments. Is what? What is your thoughts on that? Well, I, I can't knock you know diss them for doing that because at least if they're making an attempt to to gain some kind of scientific approach, that can only be for the good as long as actually what they do is is, is actually producing scientific results. What I would say about some of the scientific instruments is that that does seem very, what we, in England, what we, we call faddy, is that the one minute there will be a new thing out on the market that everyone seems to buy. For example, the K2. And I hope there's not any sponsors of the K2 on the show or anything like that. But it's one of the instruments that I'm having a lot of problems with because people are getting very excited by the fact it's, it's flashing and going off. And so when I say to them, okay, well, have you calibrated it? They're like, how'd you do that? If I say, okay, what readings did you get? Oh, I got two green lights. And I, it's not a scientific instrument in any shape or form. It, it's an entertainment thing. It's a toy. And quite honestly, it, it behaves very well with mobile phones. It's very entertaining yeah. with a mobile phone. Even a mobile Every time phone, you get a mess. Get us out of the room. It's great fun. But, okay, that, that being said, first of all, the K2, uh, I think, was specifically designed for uh, to measure uh, EMF leakage in microwave uh, ovens. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of our instruments were used as cell sensor. It was designed for uh, cell phones and the brain cancer scare. So, I mean, they've been adapted. Uh, but that being said, okay, so they're, they're not really a true scientific, which means I, I, I'm not sure what a true scientific instrument means in, in itself. I, I guess we should define that before I even rant on. What is a true scientific instrument? Why cannot the K2 be a BAA scientific instrument? Two very important things is one that you can you can get some kind of reading that you can then uh, compare. And one green light or two green lights isn't really cutting it. Either a digital readout or a dial, so you've got some kind of reading. Very importantly, though, you need to be able to calibrate the device to make sure that it's accurate. Because if you're taking it into the field and using it to produce evidence, as we will try and claim, um, you've got to make sure that it's actually working correctly. Now, with, with the cell sent, uh, it's the, the K2, it's very difficult to do that. So you, you've got to make sure that, that you've got the capability of getting a completely true null, null um reading and they as you said they were not designed for what people are now doing with them and the results they're giving are not what people think they are getting so people think they're suddenly making contact because the lights are going on on their k2 meter and it's and it's really you are not getting spirit contact because the lights are going off because they got into their head that this is a spirit detector and when the light's going off it means they've got a ghost well i mean playing the devil's advocate on this thing is that we totally do not know, first of all, if spirits exist, and, and of course, and I assume they do, but 
if they do exist, we do not totally understand their abilities of what they can do and what they cannot do. So, for instance, I mean, we as investigators might go into a location where a child is and take a a toy and and put it in the middle of the room and put some dust around it and see if it gets moved and think, therefore, we assume that the spirit can move or manipulate that toy. We also, if we believe in EVPs, that EVPs, that a spirit manipulates the white noise in a recorder and puts their voice on it, then we are assuming that they can manipulate white noise. So why couldn't they manipulate a K2 meter? Because quite simply, that the, the more sophisticated device doesn't respond to them. And the device, which just happens to respond very well to mobile phones, even when on silent, um, does all sorts of wonderful things. And, and, and the number of times I've seen people um, say, oh, this K2 is going off, and we're not, we're not anywhere near it, we're not doing anything. And then I have to go around and get everybody to go into their pockets and find a uh, mobile cell, cell phone to see which one who um, maybe have one on. And they're saying, oh, but it's on silent. Not realizing that, that your cell phone will communicate with the network constantly, even if you're not using it. And that's enough to set the um, K2 meter off. Jonathan, do, do, you, do you honestly believe that there is a scientific piece of equipment that we have at the moment that mm. detects a ghost? Because I don't, uh, but I mean, that's only my no. view. Basically, the answer is no. And, and if Thank anyone you. claimed it was, then the, then the very first thing you need to do is, okay, we'll calibrate your device. So we'll need to find a room where you can guarantee there are no ghosts. Of course, right. you can't do it. So instantly, you can't ever calibrate a device for detection of ghosts. So at the moment, that's what the, the search is for. So what we need to do is find evidence of um, environmental changes in the broader sense, in terms of the broader spectrum of environmental changes that may or may not occur when potential spirit may or may not be happening. And that's what we need to then, then pinpoint that we can use all sorts of detectors Four, there's some work going on with quantum hall effect, which might be quite interesting. But until we've used all these various instrumentations for monitoring, uh, we're not going to find out which one has a suitable response. But what seems to me very bogus is the whole idea of EMF, because it, the EMF detectors everyone's using are basically designed to be screaming mad when they're used in a household environment. Um, or even any office environment. And generally, most places will have some kind of power system or um, wireless system or mobile phone present that will basically go make a while um, an EMF detector get some kind of response. Yeah. See, for me, the only the only use for an EMF meter is when uh, on whatever ghost program it happens to be, right? The medium says, "Oh, look, there's a there's a there's a fella standing in the corner with a with a he's a ghost. He's got a little beard and a green coat and blah blah blah." And the uh, paranormal investigator uh, ambles over to the corner where he's seen the ghost and waves his EMF meter around where the ghost is. Uh, I believe the only thing that the, the EMF meter is any good for is actually going back and waving your EMF meter above the head of the medium that says he's seen it to see if there's some light that's malfunctioning over his head that's changed the frequency in his brain that causes him to see a ghost. <laughs> I actually have 
to comment on some of this stuff. I know we're running, I think we got about 30 seconds to the break. So anyways, I do, all right, 10 seconds, okay. So anyways, you are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Richard Felix and Ron Kolex, and our very special guest today has been, and still is, hopefully, uh, Jonathan Faust, uh, quantum physicist, and uh, you are listening live on Pararex, Tojinet, Ghost Channel and Beyond, and please join us in the Tojinet or the Parallax chat room with your questions. And we'll be right back after the following messages. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parrax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange. Deranged. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Bear X family. All right. Hi, I'm Ron Kolek, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in. Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night. At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so yeah, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get uh, so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, you'll I'll have to get a new co-host. <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, we'll see. scares me. Except- so anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Dan and Ron. See you then. And we are back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Richard Felix and Ron Kolick on TojiNet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and Beyond. And our very special guest today is Jonathan Faust, a quantum physicist. And you can join us live in the TojiNet chat room or the Pararex chat room. So, Jonathan, one thing, do you have a website or anything that people can reach you at? I'm developing one at the moment. The, the corporate one I do in terms of the public events is darkencounters.co.uk. But I'm developing a website where basically this idea of getting protocols and, and getting trying to get some international cooperation going on on projects uh, will be live very shortly. So I'll email you the link when that happens. Excellent. I, I do want to, you know, comment on one thing. First of all, the, the term scientific instrument. And, and you do have to realize that Dowsing rods at one time were scientific instruments. Dead. Silence. <laughs> Crickets. Let me answer. <laughs> <laughs> 
they may they may be scientific instruments, but they're to do so much more with the brain and the mind. Uh, and they a dowsing rod is 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 only usable when connected to a human being. I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that it's all down to what's going on in our mind. Uh, whereas a K2 thermometer or any other scientific equipment isn't connected in any way to us. Yes, um, I have to be dubious about any device that's connected to the human. Where the human has got um, connection physically to it, there is always the possibility of micro-movements uh, on the smallest psychological level could be influencing that. And that's what I was saying about when you have someone dowsing and they're, and they're creating the story of who they might be contacting with, you are, they start asking the questions like, are you a male? And instantly, when they ask them out loud that question, they will develop an answer themselves. Now, yes, that might be psychic, but also it might be just the beginnings of, of, of the realm of fantasy and that, that they might have been told a story about that they're in the master's chamber, in which case, yes, it will be a male. If we've just said you're down in the servants' quarters and you're where the, the housemaid was, then suddenly you, you say, are you a spirit? Are you a female? They're more likely to say yes. Are you of timid nature? Well, yes, you're going to say that. And, and suddenly you, you follow this, this train of thought, which really sort of suits the environment. And so the minute that people, someone is connected to it, even glasswork itself, you have to be a little bit dubious. I'm always much more impressed if a device is producing results that has no physical contact with a human at all. Oh, but that's back to being a scientific bit of equipment. Whereas, I mean, to me, to be honest with you, Jonathan, the only the only ghost de detector is you and your dog. <laughs> your dog, yeah. <laughs> but the big problem with that is that you have nowhere. This is a fundamental thing with with science. I've proven it. You have to be able to repeat and share, and unfortunately, the repeatability is bad. And of course, there's no way of sharing either. No, no, absolutely right. But you see, I, I, I'm, again, I need I need to talk to you a lot more about. I'm, I'm fascinated by the whole thing. But I mean, for me, I, I think that that most of the ghost business, ghost, call it what you will, that's a word to describe something that we're frightened of. Uh, but whatever we see and hear and sense and feel and anything else is, is in a person's perception. Uh, and, and only sometimes in that person's perception. Uh, and I, obviously I can't do this because we're not, we're not on TV, but you know, I'm now pushing, putting my hand out in front of me and saying, is the ghost there in front of you or in the or is the ghost, I'm now pointing at my head, is the ghost there? in your mind but i don't mean it's all in your mind but i do <laughs> if you know what i mean well it goes basically back to reality i mean but i mean even let's talk about emf meters now we we don't know the, the total ability of the brain for instance we could very well if you believe in uh, pk and other things we, we could very well affect an instrument as well as uh, something we do touch or don't touch yeah well I'd have to say no, because... No, I think really? Okay. The, the evidence of that is very slim. The ability to... Under the most extreme conditions, um, psychic ability has been able to affect a random number generator, but to a very, very small percentage. The idea that you can actually then influence the device, is, I think, is a little bit sketchy. And I think, quite honestly, the idea that somehow the spirit has the ability to, to multi, almost multitask the number of things it can be influencing, I think is, is a little bit suspect. I've even heard like people say about EVP. Someone said that once to me once, well, 
you can't simultaneously record an EVP, which I thought was an interesting comment. Um, I think, right. you, you, for example, you, you, they seem to put limitations on um, their ability. What I would argue is, is that if EVP happens, there's no reason to assume that it couldn't happen in several places. Um, but I don't think what you, you can have very different types of, act, of activities going on in terms of it has the ability to... It depends what you... Darth, it depends what you define as EVP. If you if you define EVP as it was originally defined as a spirit manipulating white noise on a recorder, therefore it's not a true audio recording, but merely another main another means of manifesting by a spirit. Then, yeah, it, you can using that theory. You, you, it can only do it on one. It can't do it on two recorders. Why? That's good. Yeah. Using using the definition that it, that it was, I mean that's the original definition of EVP. That's assuming that ghosts is a very localized phenomenon. Right, and if you, I mean it's okay, it's totally goes back to what every theory you work with. For instance, if you think that that ghosts can do anything and everything, then it, it's very clear that they couldn't manipulate a K2 meter as well as put their uh, EVP on two different recorders. I mean, it, you know, you have to have a theory on something, and then you work, and I think most scientists do, either work to prove or disprove that theory. Now, I, th I think what the evidence has shown is, is that humans haven't got the ability to, to affect devices in the way that we, we perhaps like to think that we had. Okay. Um, and so whether, whether spirit has that, that's a very, very different question. But what I would say is, is that I don't believe that there's an ability to affect an electronic device. Because I think if one, once you skip the level where they, they have the ability to not only affect a K2 meter, but an EMF and EVP uh, recording device simultaneously, you start wondering why can't they make better forms of communication if they have the ability to, to make those many connections. And I, I really think that up until now, a lot of what has happened scientifically in terms of recording is almost a byproduct of the presence of a paranormal spirit rather than direct forms of communication. There are, I mean, there are, there are all kind of research being done with with uh, different types of communication. I mean, I know the American, uh, well, they used to be a EVP. I think they've changed their name again, but they, they used to do uh, a, uh, called the Big Circle, and that was people around the world at a certain time uh, would ask uh, questions on their recorders, and uh, people in various places would get answers from particular spirits, otherwise they did direct communication. I mean, there, there are even theories that there are actually teams on the other side trying to contact us and doing their own little experiments. So, I mean, we, the, the, the big thing with this is we simply don't know all the ramifications, all of the abilities of spirit, or, or even ourselves. I, I think that's the problem, why we'll never ever prove the existence of ghosts or spirits. I, I think I agree with you, and I think Richard made a comment as well about that we won't um, obtain proof. And I think that I, my argument is that I don't think we'll ever record physical evidence of the paranormal because I just don't think it can be um, objectified in the way exactly. that it needs to be. I think it will always be a very subjective um, sense and belief. You will have, I mean, I've had people who have been a complete disbeliever and then had an experience happen to them where they have been 
you know, 180 degree reversal within a couple of hours, and they're, they're absolutely yeah. shocked by what has happened, and they are a total believer. But when they go back to work on Monday morning and try and explain what happened to them, because it's usually a remarkably subtle thing that happened, they'll the people at work will go, yeah, but surely it was this, or surely it was that, it must have been this, it must have been that. And it's very difficult then to pass that um, belief of experience on to other people. So I, I think um, the only thing I, I, we've been working on in the scientific realm is uh, almost like a reverse logic where there's a combination of things that by default then establish um, an understanding of what's going on. It will never be evidence, but there might be, uh, by a process of elimination of, of, of psychological and physical conditions, potentially you could get to something where you can then produce an argument for this must be, by default, paranormal. And again, it won't be ever evidence, but you can then start targeting it to certain types of activity to try and get an understanding. And when, and when you've got an understanding that you can then repeat, then you can get to, to the root of what may be happening. And if, it, for example, what really seems to be happening is something on the quantum mechanical level in terms of perhaps multi-role theorem, in terms of multiple dimensionality, in, in, in terms of what's been worked on in, in, the, in the field of consciousness, um, there might be an understanding and an explanation to what we're, we're experiencing, but it's a very soft explanation in terms of, if we try and believe that these are physical violations of the laws of physics, then there's going to be some big fundamental shifts. But if we are, are assuming these are shifts in physical consciousness, then it's a softer explanation, and it's a, it's a very sh soft paradigm shift, which is a bit of a contradiction in terms. Well, we've certainly stirred things up because there are questions in, oh, yeah. uh, in both rooms. And in and, and, and the uh, Pararex uh, chat room, somebody asks, okay, then, what, uh, where do you think consciousness is and what is it made of? And surely if consciousness is energy, it can retain its form and memory. So that's, a, I, guess, uh, I guess, a question for you, uh, Jonathan, from okay. the uh, Pararex chat room. Uh, two postulates there that, um, that, that you are assuming that because it is energy, it can, it, it can um, regain its form. And the original postulate was that it was energy. Well, no, to, well, who knows? But I would argue we don't necessarily think it's energy. And if it was energy, it can doesn't necessarily regain its form. If we look at the energy, it basically can can take on any form. It can be it can be absorbed into anything. In which case, um, the energy is is by the universal law absorbed by the environment around it and, and no it doesn't then regain any kind of cohesiveness but i would argue that consciousness isn't a thing it i would argue probably it's an interface hmm. and, and go, going in the other uh, the other direction in the para in the uh, tojina chat room uh uh we have actually said well it, can buildings trap and then release certain sounds and conditions that, uh, this, uh, this I think is the, the stone tape theory, uh, where, you know, the energy at the time is trapped in a building and then for, under some condition is released. Is, is that possible? Well, this is an interesting theory. I've always been vehemently opposed to the stone tape theory because it never made any sense to me at all. And interestingly, I had a conversation with someone the other day who, um, expressed the, the, the fact that she'd been dealing with uh, investigations in America, and she had a very different experience than she does when in, she's in the UK buildings. 
And it, 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 we were in, in discussion about that, and one of the conclusions we came to was that a lot of the English buildings are either brick or stone built. American obviously have lots of wood construction, and whether this has an influence in, in potential haunting, which hasn't occurred to me before, and I'll be very interested to hear whether there are any mediums or psychic investigators, or even paranormal investigators, who have done uh, investigations both in the UK and the US, whether they've experienced this before, in as much as that you, where you might have walked into a UK building and had a very instantaneous thought that there's a male presence in there, he's not happy, he's this old, he's this relationship to the building, whereas then you go across, across the pond and then suddenly you just have no idea. You know there's something, but you can't just kind of attune to it. I'll be interested to hear whether anyone got those conditions. We, we actually have someone right with us now. Richard has been in both the UK <laughs> and across the pond, and has had experiences uh, in, in both types of buildings. Is that, is that correct? Indeed, uh, I have. Yeah, and, and uh, you obviously haven't read my book, Jonathan, um, because I'm a <laughs> huge believer in... Um, the stone tape is an old, an, an old word now because of that TV program in the 1970s, but I, I'm now on to the, the, the crystal tape theory or the silica tape theory, or call it what you will, uh, and just very quickly, um, I believe that in America there are more um, spirits and souls of dead people, perhaps, um, than there are in the UK because they've got more wooden buildings. Um, the UK, of course, has got many much older buildings, uh, sandstone, limestone, granite, uh, clay, brick buildings. Um, and so the UK, of course, is probably the most haunted planet on the on the on the universe, in the universe, but no, the, the most haunted country uh, on the planet. And the reason being is because we've got older buildings um, that hold more recordings. And, and the amazing thing about that is, I'll only mention two, in Derby, where I live, um, the most haunted building in the centre of Derby is a, a place called Jacobean House. Uh, Fourteen recorded sightings, different sightings of ghosts. Guess what? It's the oldest brick-built building in the city of Derby. While I was doing Most Haunted, and I did uh, uh, California, uh, we just happened to be very privileged to do the Whaley House, um, which, of course, is, what, guess what, the most haunted building in California. And, of course, while I was there, I also found out that the Whaley House just happens to be the oldest brick-built building in California. Oh, my God. That's interesting. It's, it's more than interesting, yeah. The most haunted uh, battlefield probably on the planet, a very underestimated uh, battlefields are, but the most haunted battlefield is, is Gettysburg, with over a thousand sightings. The whole of the Gettysburg battlefield is on a red sandstone plateau, um. which again just adds to, the, to my stone tape. Uh, you know, uh, I... You, you throw around that the most haunted thing, and yeah. you know, to me, that really is—I I don't think it's—you know, it's—it's. It's, how do you? That was a TV that? program, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> I think you remember that. But I mean, how do you prove it? The, the, the Gettysburg prove is the it? most oh. haunted. Yeah, it's the most haunted. I mean, we, how we, do you prove? Oh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, oh, the really uh, house, the most haunted house in California. Yeah, I mean, you throw that out there, but, um, certainly with with my, my Derby one. Remember, I'm not. An American, so I can only really go on when when I visited. Uh, and, and in all of the, uh, the the books, the ghost books, this, that, the other, the amazing guy whose name I, I forget, who died a couple of years ago, uh, did a phenomenal amount of work on the Whaley House, and he was the guy that branded it as the most haunted. Uh, uh, I can't remember his name. Isn't that terrible? He'd written so many books. He died about two years ago, Rob. Um, Hans Holzer. Hans Holzer. Yeah. 
And he's the guy that branded Whaley House as the most haunted house in, in California. Um, you know, uh, do we go with what he says or not? We can't. Pr nobody can prove right. it. But there it, you go. It's just what people say. Well, here's, here's one of the big problems. I've been asked to write quite a few ghost books. And very often when, when doing the research, they've said it can't be any, any evidence coming from um, anyone you're connected to or any of the investigations you've done. They've got to be documented cases. But then yep. when you look at some of the documented cases, they seem to have, have like leaked into urban legend. And they're often from some, very often they seem to be some drunk as well. And, and I'm suddenly thinking, well, why just because some drunk told this legend 200 years ago, is that a documented case? Whereas people who have never been to location and under scientific conditions have had experience that I can, that individually a whole group of people can vouch for isn't included. We run the risk that documented cases um, potentially could be completely unscientific. And it could just be because a location captures the imagination you end up with more documented cases. Whether they're true or not, it's completely hearsay. But it, it, so you, you run the risk of documented just means it captured the imagination. So some of the guesses were it might capture the imagination, but whether you can then say it's actually more haunted than any other location is really impossible to say. I agree with you, totally, Ab absolutely. Um, but we've got we've got to sort of grasp something, and, and you know, we've got to go on something. You know, but how can there be any proof of any any evidence whatsoever you know even if it's the guy that i was on a ghost walk with last night that told me about um the spirit that's in his house or whatever you know um do i document it or don't i was he drunk or not i, I don't i don't know i only exactly. spoke to him last night uh, whether he was drunk the night before i don't know but you know what i'm, what I'm trying to say is that to be honest with you there is too much evidence out there for me for there to be nothing in it there is, oh, there is no, most definitely the something there. How we prove it, God knows, if there is such I, a thing. I'm not disclaiming the evidence. I'm just saying it's a very dangerous ground to say one place is more haunted than the other. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, what, what do we do then? Very good for the do books we, and very good we discount for the all the, I mean, I presume, like me, you, you're, you're actually out there doing uh, ghost events, ghost walks, tours, that sort of stuff. Um, do you sort of only tell the stories that, that you've experienced yourself, or do you use some of the stories that you've, that you've read in a book? Or do you use all of them? Because I do. Personal experience, most of them, actually. You have? Personal experience and history, that's the best combination. Well, that's me, that's where I come in. Um, and, and obviously, uh, but, but history means re reading documents and books that have, have recorded things that have happened. But, you know, if it's a hundred, if it's a hundred year old story or more, is, is it true? Is it a story made up by the smugglers to stop people finding the exactly. contraband in the church? We don't know. Absolutely. I mean, but, you know, where, where do we go and how do we move forward? But Jonathan, I've been, time is running. I'm, I'm fascinated by the whole thing. I'd, I'd love to know what your um, description, if you like, as a quantum physicist, what is a ghost? Well, I will em embellish the stone tape theory, for example. Rather than assuming that, it, that, that the spirit energy or event or however you want to put it is connected somehow with the building... Yep. Think about it instead in, in terms of connected to the time. And think about that if a building stays in a location for a year, 
that it's ingrained itself in time itself. So the building there that's been there for 400 years has ingrained itself in, the, in time. And our yep. consciousness has an ability to experience time. And I think there's a yes. possibility that our brain has an ability sometimes to take sneak peeks through time. And I think yep. rather than picking up the building, the building is, is the gateway to the fact that we are then tuning into the time of the building. Um, and so I think, I think temporal mechanics will become a potential answer to what we're trying to experience here. Yeah. I like it. Now, in other words, it's very similar to, to um, an astronomer peering into the night sky and seeing something that's actually been dead for oh. millions of light years. Yes, very good analogy, yes. Yeah. But, I mean, we, we it, consciously connect to a building because we sort of picked up the leakage in consciousness through time. But didn't Einstein actually uh, dealt with this theory about, uh, I believe it was using high voltage, I've got to try to remember this because I think it was using high voltage energy and creating a field and bombarding it with EMF. I, I Something like that, I can't recall off the top of my head, but supposedly you could make a hole in time. Um, no. I, he, he postulated the idea that um, intense gravitational forces can bend space-time and therefore have the ability to theoretically produce a, a time loop or a wormhole, um, but there's no e uh, electromagnetic field strong enough to affect time. That I know. <laughs> okay. Right. So, Jonathan, tell me. I, I, I'm fascinated. This business of time, uh, which I, I like, uh, uh, something that I've sort of been into as well. The time thing, as well as possibly the recording. So, this split in time. This, these various cases, of course. You know, in in France, um, at, I think the Tuileries and things, where these these ladies saw saw uh, a split in time, and it happens, of course, on Rodney Street uh, in Liverpool and various other places. Um, these events that people are seeing, possibly from 400 years, 300 years, or anything, oh, is this the reason that we're saying that the ghost, for want of a better word, and that's what we're still using, although it's a, you know, a medieval word, are not in any way able to communicate with us. They are, in a way, the same thing as a recording. That can't communicate. Well, this, this, is the, this is the big debate I've had with a lot of mediums about the level, the d degree of communication. Um, what people talk about, um, oh, what's the, what's the expression now? Not resilience. Um, residual. Some people yep, say. Yeah, residual energy. Just, yeah, residual yeah. energy. Just do their business, they just go about their thing, and, and you can do what you like in front of them, and they will just not engage with you. And then there are the other spirits that will have a vague awareness of you. Um, possible annoyance that you're there. And then there's the other ones that will give you a full dialogue of their entire life history and how unhappy they are. You don't the opinion of the, of the medium involved. Um, and so uh, it, it is possible that there are, there, there are two different things going on here, that there is this residual time that we're able, our consciousness are able to tune into and that the mediums are able to, to naturally tune into and that other people happen accidentally. Um, and there might be a, a different form of communication that is the more clairaudient, clairvo um, clairvoyant type of communication where it's a very two-way conversation. It might be a completely different thing, which is then throwing us off trying to produce an entire model that fits everything. Um, 
more research needed doing. But in terms of the, uh, the stone tape, if we look at the, the, the time theory, it solves a lot of the problems about where buildings are destroyed and why they're still there. But it's interesting yes. um, to do the, the whole research about the, the red brick, if what the connection is there. But it, it, to me, physically, it's so much better if we look at this in terms of something temporal as opposed to a physical um, because then it, it starts creating all sorts of weirdness. Once you start looking at the crystallography and the, the subatomic structure of things, it all gets a bit odd about how this could possibly be happening. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. But you see, at least we're trying to present some form of scientific approach to it oh, yes. rather than the Scooby-Doo nonsense that's, that's <laughs> out there so much. Yeah, but Scooby-Doo is yeah, so much fun. Yeah, <laughs> we love Scooby-Doo, of course we do. Everybody wants to be frightened. <laughs> And I think the fact that we, even now we've, we've, we've started this debate about um, uh, wooden houses, brick houses and stone houses, yes. and that we could try, that's a very simple experiment that we could then ask the world to investigate in, saying, give us your cases and let's see experimentally in terms of, you know, in to, to test the strength of, but generally do we get more hauntings from either um, an open ground, a Brick house, wooden house, or stone house? Yeah. Trust me, brick house and stone house. <laughs> and it'd be very we social. call it a haunting, because we don't understand it. We, we see, you know, it's like dropping down the, the, the TV screen and, and seeing a John Wayne movie. You know, everyone 100 years ago would have been terrified, because they thought it was the, the ghost of John Wayne that's come back. So now what we understand the, it's what nothing more than a recording tape? held what, in the what fabric What about of... the water tape theory, Richard? Sorry? What about the water tape theory? Same thing, yeah. Water is, is the other one that you know, but it also contains silica, as as does stone and brick and clay and glass. And well, why, does, why does water contain silica? I don't. I'm well, not because sure it that. flows when it rains. It flows over the granite, the limestone, the clay, uh, and the sandstone, and it absorbs the silica from it. That's why when you when you buy a bottle of spring water, next time you do, you want to have a look at the silica content in it. And so we. So you're saying that we, that's an easy enough experiment if we go to a haunted place and bring a gallon of spring water versus a gallon of distilled water, then we should possible. But do you go just think of the number of haunted locations that are wet or damp? Don't know. Oh, nobody marshland. Nobody documents it. Nobody documents it. That's the problem. Lakes, rivers, bathrooms. My next book is going to be called Toilet Goat. We're out of time anyway, so I... uh, Oh, we need to talk some more. (laughs) Yes, yes. So we we do want to thank Jonathan Faust. uh, uh, It's fascinating. Absolutely amazing. You're very welcome. And we need to talk some more, sir. Well, we'll have him back again. And you know what we ought to Love do to. is maybe, maybe we could devise a a protocol that we could actually experiment with, uh, with through our listeners because a lot of you know a good portion of our listeners are ghost hunters, and maybe we could get some results from that that we could actually uh, do something with as far as analyzing. That would be, analyzing. That would be great. Yeah, let's talk some more, guys. Yes, absolutely. All right, Jonathan, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, Richard, do you, you have anything coming up this week you want to talk what about? What have I got coming up this week? Uh, absolutely. Oh, hang on. Yeah, I've got, to, I've got to go start tomorrow night in, sorry, in Derby Jail, but it's a private event for a group of, a group of ghost hunters uh, in, in, in the Midlands that are coming, and I'm doing an event for them from 7 o'clock till 12 o'clock tomorrow night uh, in Derby Jail. But uh, it's a private one, so I can't really advertise it. Other than that, I'm very quiet at the moment for me. 
Which is lovely. Okay. Really nice. August, August 20th, I have a pirate ghost crew, so there you go. Sounds good to me. So, we want to thank everyone for listening. Jonathan, thank you once again. Thank and good night and God bless everyone. Good night. Happy thing. From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.